This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. I'm Marshall Kellner. Matt Gallivan is off today. He's on vacation. So we brought in uh, a guest, a a friend of mine who I haven't seen in a while, but he's uh, down in Florida right now and will be coming up to Minnesota soon with the Minnesota Twins for opening day in less than a couple of weeks. It's Dohung Park, the Twins beat writer for MLB.com. He's a Minnesota native. He's a Jeopardy celebrity now, Jeopardy contestant. <laughs> and uh, don't, don't, let's start Let's start with that. Uh, just uh, one quick Jeopardy question to get that out of the way to start. I, I, you know, you've probably talked ad nauseum about your appearance on Jeopardy. You've faced off against one of the legendary players of the game. But what, what was the most interesting part of Jeopardy that fans might not know about just from watching the show? Well, just to start off, Marshall, I got to say, it's really weird to be down here at spring training and not have you here. Like the first couple of years, (laughs) you're just like kind of the constant having you around here, man. And at Hammond Stadium around the complex, it's uh, it's been weird not having you here. But um, thanks for having me on. And like you were saying, it's uh, well, you call me a Jeopardy celebrity. I think of it as a Jeopardy also ran. Uh, Jeopardy has been. (laughs) Um, It's uh, it's certainly uh, it was it was an absolutely crazy experience I mean I don't know the I don't know that I have the words to really describe it and really I think the thing that stands out about the whole day for it was just how little I remember of it you know it's just one of those crazy things where you build yourself up for it especially somebody like me where I really love trivia the game just have been a lifelong fan of it and you as soon as it becomes even somewhat realistic where you're like okay I'm starting to get decent scores on this thing or I got the call you start thinking about that you start imagining it you know and then you actually get there and the day goes by in such a blur I wish that I had more memories of it it's just kind of it's just so overwhelming how um larger than life everything is like how unfamiliar yet familiar it all seems um it was all it all just went by in such a blur that I got back to the hotel room and I had to just whip out my laptop and start typing for like two hours to like write down everything I remember to make sure that it was all there. Um, I think the one thing that really stood out is that you don't know how you're going to react when you're on that stage, right? Like that's the one thing that I couldn't control in my preparation going in. I could, pre- I could practice the buzzer. I could cram knowledge. I could watch old shows and all of that, but you never know how you, exactly you're going to react when you're on that stage and the lights are bright. Um, and I think the one thing I'll take away is that just the feeling of I got called for the first game. I'm standing at the podium with no idea what to expect. The lights turn down, the music, everybody knows the theme song is on. Um, they start calling out the introductions, the board un- reveals. And I thought I was going to be terrified, but I was actually just so at ease, so comfortable. I was like, well, I've made it here. This is my one shot. Let's go get it. Let's do it. And I fell just short, but um, hopefully uh, there's a second chance trimming up. I'm hoping um, I'm hoping I'll be in consideration for that. But if not, it was just the experience of a lifetime. Oh, nice. I didn't know about that. So we'll be we'll be pulling for you there. And and you not only was Amy Schneider on the stage with you competing against you, uh, Ken Jennings, the host. So you have two Jeopardy legends, uh, you know, in your in your midst on, on the stage, uh, looking back, that has to be pretty, pretty gratifying. 
It's crazy. They're Jeopardy royalty. As far as I'm concerned, Ken Jennings is Jeopardy. I mean, uh, that was like when the host carousel was all happening too, and nobody really knew what to expect. I didn't know, or actually I did know who I was going to be walking in with. I think when they called, they told me Ken was going to be hosting. Um, But it's just one of those things where there's just so much chaos going on around the show. And I'm like, okay, this is a familiar face. We all know this is a person I associate with this and I wouldn't have had in any other way. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers might have been a different, different kind of experience. Oh, if it, if it were Aaron Rodgers instead of uh, instead of Ken Jennings, I think my interview portion would have gone a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we need to get you out to a Minnesota Vikings game. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and uh, watch watch Doe's episode. Let's let's get on to the Minnesota Twins. Uh, your 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 normal day job, and uh, you were just saying we're recording this uh, on a Wednesday here uh, on the thirtieth of March. A crazy day when you got to go into the clubhouse and and we say that, you know, you took that for granted maybe before COVID, but the clubhouse access that was paused for quite some time. Uh, So covering the team during COVID uh, and even last year when COVID was subsiding a little bit, you had the vaccine still much more limited access than now. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the twins have been really good about that in that, uh, spring training, uh, spring training last season, and even just into the season, um, Dustin Morse, uh, the PR, uh, the communications director here, I think he's the vice president now, just got promoted, but um, he's always been really good about understanding that, you know, these twins teams still deserve to have their stories told. It's going to be tougher to do that, but there's a lot of good players that have worked a lot for this, um, and uh, they deserve to have those stories told. People still need to learn what's going on with the twins, so they were pretty aggressive in being like, you can come onto the field and talk to players, or you can even in spring training, it's like you can um, go like stand away from them outside, but you can go up and do your one-on-one interview and that sort of thing. And it's just also tough when everything is done via Zoom pregame and postgame as it was um, for much of uh, for much of 2020 and um, heading into a lot of what happened last season because A, everything becomes a spectacle for both us and the players where it's tough to suss out those little details or have anybody feel truly comfortable um, enough to open up or provide details or those sorts of things in that setting, just because it feels so artificial and all of this is being recorded. It's all going to be posted online. Uh, You can't really have feel for that sort of thing on either sides. So it's really tough in that sense. Um, And it's just tough from the personal side too. Um, So much of what we do is the relationship building. And I know you know this better than anyone. It's not the, it's not what you do on the broadcast or the interviews or anything like that. It's walking through the clubhouse, saying hi, checking in with guys about how their kids are doing, uh, seeing who they're rooting for in the final four. Um, Just developing those sorts of personal relationships and personal comfort, oftentimes with the mics off, without the cameras rolling, um, that really plays into a lot of that. And it's tough, especially for somebody newer to the beat like me. I mean, it's year four, but it feels like year two for me because so much of that relationship building and that comfort level that you would normally be building in those early years hasn't been there. So it's been kind of overwhelming. I think we all kind of forgot. It's kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant where uh, we're, we're relearning how to, you know, do all of these things. It's like, oh yeah, this is, this was a thing. And, you know, just really making up for lost time in a way. And that's been very rewarding because um, the twins have a lot of good personalities and good dudes down in that clubhouse. And it's been a, and uh, we've really missed out on that. That's for sure. They do. You've gotten to know some of the guys I got to know a few years earlier and uh, there's, there's more coming on the way. And I, I, I tell people that's the thing. That's the thing I probably miss the most about being a play-by-play guy is just those relationships, the road bus trips, 
uh, the road trips were always more fun than than the homestands because you had less to do. You and that's when you, <laughs> yeah, and and that's when you really got to know players. And uh, you know, it's been fun reconnecting with with some of those guys. Uh, you know, over over the years, uh, even over the past couple of years, um, when I haven't been down there. But uh, the the big story of camp so far, obviously, was Carlos Correa's signing, and that was not something I'm sure you were expecting heading, heading into camp. You had that day where they made a flurry of moves. You know, you had Sonny Gray acquired, Josh Donaldson dealt, and you always felt like there was some other shoe to drop after the Donaldson move, and they clear all that salary to the New York Yankees. But it seemed like Trevor Story was the guy maybe they're targeting, and then, boom, out of the blue, Carlos Correa lands with the Twins. What was the atmosphere of camp before Correa versus now? Well, before Correa, I think it was kind of what you described. I mean, you go around and, you know, guys have uh, guys are excited, obviously. I mean, even before Correa, they kind of signaled, okay, we're really going to try to do something this year when they traded away, when they traded for Sonny Gray, um, where they really needed pitching. And they not only traded for Sonny Gray, but they traded away their 2021 first round pick who throws 102, Chase Petty to do that. That's not a move you make if you're not intending to win right now. And so I think there was excitement because so much had happened and also excitement for, well, there's gotta be more to come, right? And when they did unload the Donaldson deal, I don't know that there was, I think I, think I saw on the internet like, okay, yeah, yeah, they must have something immediately lined up. There must be something immediately in the books. I don't know that that was necessarily the case. And I think everything, every indication we've had is that that Correa deal came together so quickly, just less than a day. I think Carlos himself said it took 15 hours from start to finish, maybe for everything to come together. And uh, that's really, that's really just kind of how this off season of moves has gone. I think uh, everybody's talked about, it's all been warp speed. It's all been, it's all been chaos. And I think, that kind of chaotic offseason is kind of how this happened in the first place. I think um, without the lockout, um, team owners, team presidents, um, organizations have a lot more of an opportunity to kind of coalesce around, okay, how are we going to bring a guy like Carlos Correa in for 10, 12 years? And that's something that his agent, Scott Forrest, really emphasized. Like with the lockout and Correa unsigned at that point, when you come back, teams are just going to be kind of scrambling. Like there's that, that kind of gravitas, at least he said, is hard to find. Um, for like a magnitude of like a 10 to 12 year deal. That's kind of what opened up things, opened things up for a team like the twins to swoop in. Um, it also took Correa loves hitting at target field. Uh, there's one factor there where he won't be able to hit against, you know, some of those twins pitching staffs of those uh, years past anymore. And uh, we'll have to see about that, but he loves the batter's eye. He loves the infield. And like you said, the Donaldson deal, I don't know that that's also a deal where the twins weren't didn't come into the offseason being like, we're going to have to unload Donaldson's contract. It was one of those things where it was like they traded for Isaiah kiner falefa and the Yankees were like, hey, we still really want this guy. We just missed out on him. What, what's going to, what's going to, what's it going to need to take it, what's it going to take to get a deal done? And uh, they ended up offloading off Josh Donaldson's contract. And really, I think the way I think about this is uh, I talked to general manager Thad Levine about this on the record and he was saying, we had like four or five plans coming into this off season. And this is probably plan a plus anything involving Carlos Correa. Now, obviously the pitching is another question. And um, that's something that we're going to continue to need to think about. I think moving into the next couple of months, but uh, any off season that involves Carlos Correa coming to Minnesota of all places, it's kind of a wild one. It, it is. And speaking of that theme of kind of adjusting 
plans. It's a really good point because Carlos Correa kind of approached the Twins through Scott Boris. Scott Boris, you know, you read reports about it, and really you don't even need to read reports. Just listen to Correa himself, Boris, and, and Derek Falvey at that press conference. It was Boris who reached out proactively and said, we think this might be a fit here. Boris called him and said, I have somebody. They didn't know who it was at first. Um, some really good reporting about that. And, and so so off that, they now get Correa. Whatever their plans were for pitching pre-Correa, it seems like might change to maybe make it more important to acquire top-of-the-rotation help. Once you get Correa, it's like, okay, now here we go. Do, do you think that has created more of a sense of urgency, um, I'll say, to, to get that top quality pitching. I think there was. Um, I think there still is. But at this point in the offseason, I don't know that anything is really going to get done. I mean, the the Reds have cooled. Um, I, I think it's been reported for a while now that they've been cooling on um, trading uh, Tyler Maley and Luis Castillo and the arms they have there. And everything we've heard is that the A's haven't really engaged all too seriously about um, either of their top guys, the Frankie Montes or the Sean Manias of the world. And really um, a lot of national reports coming out recently too, that the A's are still like, I don't, we, we, we don't know. We might hang on to them until the trade deadline and that sort of thing. And you could argue that the twins kind of backed themselves into this in a way by not being more aggressive um, for some of those top end free agent arms before the lockout happened. But at the same time, that was on a different, that was in a different universe almost um, where Donaldson was still on the books, these different moves signaling that these things had had yet occur, had yet to occur. Um, obviously, the benefit of hindsight at that point or being able to see the future would have been nice. And I think they would have handled it differently. But um, I think it was a tough position coming out of the lockout, not having had those moves yet um, and obviously needing to make those moves. Um, but this this is where they are. I think um, they they did what they could out of a weird situation. Um, I think the opportunity space is obviously quite limited right now where it kind of had to be the A's or nothing. And um, if the A's aren't going to bite, then so be it. Um, but also it opens up the opportunity maybe a little more quickly for some guys like uh, Josh Winder, uh, Yoan Duran, Jordan Balazovic, Cole Sand, some of those guys who have really been cooking in the farm system to really come up and start making their impact early. And really until the twins have the opportunity, maybe at the trade deadline, maybe earlier to address that, I think a lot of their success in the direction of the season is really going to depend on those young guys for the first time in their careers. Yeah. Uh, Winder has drawn rave reviews so far. Um, Jordan Belazovic. I've always been a huge fan of his, my first time seeing him, he threw seven perfect innings. So oh, yeah. it wasn't, it, <laughs> it was a good first impression. Uh, it was against uh, the Palm beach Cardinals over there in, uh, in Jupiter at Roger Dean uh, Chevrolet stadium. But uh, I mean, he's a guy, he just has the it factor to me like he and I think twins fans are going to absolutely love him. He's Canadian. Uh, he's like the easiest guy to talk to. You'll find um, you can't stop him from talking once he goes, um, which is awesome. And, and, and Cole Sands, I think very professional Florida States, you know, a, a different type of pitcher. So haven't seen Winder, but, but have heard really good things. What have you seen from him? Cause he seems like, the closest one and Duran, maybe a bullpen piece to start. Um, I think Duran's certainly a bullpen piece to start. Yeah. I don't know about, I don't know about to start the season. I think that's definitely, I, I think it's going to happen. I think he'll be in the opening day bullpen. His stuff's been electric, but with Winder, I mean, he's been on a full starters routine since he got in camp. 
uh, great head on his shoulders, uh, super diligent guy. Um, he's built like a starter um, in a way that uh, not many guys in that room are like, you're like, you look at them and he, he, Josh Winder is a physically imposing dude. Like you like, look at, you're like, okay, here, what do you want out of like a mid rotation starting pitcher? And like, that's what he is. Like, you know, he's got, you know, good fastball. It's just really polished stuff. And when you talk to him about his, his empathy, this camp, it's not like, oh, I need to work on this pitch. I need to work on that pitch. It's more of, I just need to work on my consistency with like holding runners on or like varying my times to the plate. It's like, it's, it's not like the formative things that define who you are as a pitcher. It's just like the little levels of polish and the tweak that maybe uh, help ease your transition into the big leagues. I think the twins see it that way. I think he sees it that way. Um, and they've been talking about him too, as there's no spot in the rotation right now, but opening day is a real possibility for him as a member of the bullpen, because starters aren't going to be stretched out. So they're going to take like five or six bullpen guys who can give them innings. And uh, he's definitely strongly in the mix to be one of those guys. And with the expanded rosters to 28, I think that even more so, it's more likely they're going to take some additional pitchers with them with the with the condensed spring training, I would think. Oh, absolutely. I think um, 28 man rosters. I can't see Rocco taking fewer than 15 pitchers. We've been talking about this a lot. I think even 16 is a realistic possibility if the Twins aren't going to take a third catcher. Um, I think, I think those are very much on the table and um, he's talked about it in this way. There's, there's going to be five guys throwing shorter leverage stints out of the bullpen. That's going to be Rogers, Duffy, Alcala, Joe Smith, and Caleb Fieldbar. And then there's going to be the five starters. And then Rocco says, you know, whether it's five guys or six guys, there's going to be a bunch of those guys that are going to be stretched out to two innings, three innings that are just going to need to not maybe piggyback, but really provide the opportunity to, to kind of ease the workload from some of those uh, starting pitchers to really fill out this pitching staff. You mentioned a uh, possibility of a third catcher. One, one thing I think not a lot of people talking about, but was a sneaky big deal was the Yankees got the twins to throw in Ben Rorfett into that, into that trade. Very savvy move. I think I, I know the twins probably came out better overall in the deal, but that was a very savvy move by the Yankees. In my opinion, um, Ben is beloved in the beloved in the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. And I think the Yankees, Clubhouse will love him. The Yankee fans will love him. He kind of has a New York type personality, even though he's from Madison, Wisconsin, but he's tremendous defensively. Tremendous. I mean, overall, just a great defensive catcher and pitchers love throwing to him. Jeffers and Gary Sanchez, both known more for the bat and Jeffers has come along defensively. Sanchez is a good arm, but other than that, not known as a defensive wizard back there. So how much of a concern is that, and may that lead to a third catcher being included? I think that's, I think, you know, the Twins are just going to work with what they have in that sense. I mean, obviously, it's going to be great to have, uh, it would be great to have a strong defensive catcher, somebody like, uh, somebody like a Ben Rortbett to work with this pitching staff, especially with the young guys. But I also think they believe in the offensive upside that Gary Sanchez provides. And I also think they're kind of excited to they're, they're, they're excited to see what potential exists there. Um, and it's also a short-term commitment there. Um, I think the Ryan Jeffers is obviously a rock solid defensive catcher. And I think there's also some kind of complimentary um, compliments that exist there too, with Jeffers being so good at controlling the bottom of the zone. Uh, maybe the top of the zone is an area of continued improvement. And then, uh, and then Gary Sanchez, obviously bigger body, big body dude can get up high. 
Um, I think there's some like ideas of complementariness uh, possibly there, if that's a word, maybe. Um, but at the same time, I think the bigger consideration for a third catcher is more of, well, Gary Sanchez is going to be DHing a ton in this lineup. I, you know, they brought him into the bat. They're going to use the bat. Um, and we actually did ask Rocco about this. And um, he said he's, he seemed to be totally comfortable just using one of his catchers as a DH or whatnot and um, not needing to worry about, you know, kind of the old school manager of like, you know, you never want to have both of your catchers in the same game in one game at the same time, because who knows what happens and then you lose the DH and that and he's saying, you know, that rarely happens anyway, like what's the what's the deal like you don't, we're not going to worry about something that might happen once every 50 hundred games. I think the third catcher discussion Jose Godoy is the third catcher on the 40 man right now, uh, just claimed off waivers but I think it's more of like, how do you feel about the workload for Jeffers and Sanchez early in the season? And I don't know that that's going to be a big issue. Normally, I would have said, oh, yeah, to shoe in. If Rocco can take a third catcher, he'll take a third catcher. But um, at the same time, especially since Jeffers seems like a guy who's going to benefit from an upped workload and more consistency, I could also definitely see him taking two and opting for the extra pitcher, especially with the way this pitching staff is shaping up. Here with Dohan Park, Twins beat writer for MLB.com. Uh, let's let's go back to a couple of the new additions, and Carlos Correa in particular. We know what he can do on the field. I was struck by just his how quickly he seemed to adapt to the clubhouse, and also just the lead, the immediate leadership. I mean, he's going out to dinner with guys reportedly. Just right when he gets there, he knew a lot of these 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 guys, but. He really wants to, to to be a good teammate, to be that leader, and get to know them on a on a personal level. The, the Twins haven't had really since you've been there that type of vocal leader, have they? Because Cruz Cruz was much more of a, of a of a quiet guy and led by example. I guess Josh Donaldson maybe, but yeah. uh, but but Correa's leadership is off the charts. Oh, Correa's, I think I think they had that in Cruz and Donaldson, but like you said, they just kind of show it in different ways where. Um, you know, Donaldson might have been a little more of like a, you know, in your face, a little more like straight up, tell you what you need to know, pricklier, maybe sort of guy, um, not pulling any punches or that sort of thing. Cruz, um, you know, like you said, a little bit of a quieter, quieter dude, but not afraid to speak up by any means. But uh, Correa's, you know, Correa's really got that, got that vibe. Um, he is, he's 27. He doesn't carry himself like a 27 year old. That's for sure. Um, he, he's really emphasizing just perfection in what he does and he, he might only be around for one year sure but he's not really treating it that way it seems like he's really ever since he came in he's like okay we're gonna we're gonna talk about this as we're gonna build a culture here we're really going to act to build a culture together show build here's what it takes for teams to win championships together um you know and that that's something where He's building it from the ground up. He's building, not from the ground up, but he's showing them on the field. He's showing them off the field. And I think, um, especially with so many young guys on this roster, um, that's that influence, even if it's around for only a year or so, that's really something that's going to, that's, that's going to take hold on a clubhouse like this. And like you said, um, he's really taking guys out to dinner. He's really taking this seriously. I think he understands the gravitas of, he's one of the highest paid infielders. He's the highest paid infielder by average annual salary ever. Um, and uh, he's, this is the biggest free agent contract in Twins history. And that comes with the expectation, but he's only ever known expectations in his career. He had to turn around the Houston Astros with uh, Altuve and um, that core that went on to win all that went on to win all those playoff games. He's, he's no stranger to that sort of, okay, we have to take this clubhouse and we, he, he's been part of that. 
And so I think um, even if it's for one year, if it's for two, if it's for three, I think he's going to bring that every day. That's just kind of how he's wired. That's kind of who he is. Uh, he's been an extremely positive, just like guy, even with us in the media where we just loiter, he like comes up and like taps us and he's like, hi, I'm Carlos. Like he, he like goes out of his way. He's one of those guys that like goes out of his way to ask who you are, how, how, how you're doing, everything like that. And I think um, that kind of vibe, like you said, hasn't really been in the clubhouse. And I think uh, the guys are really going to respond well to that. Yeah, and I think some of the fatalism with, with Twins fans that, oh, he's only going to be around for one year. First of all, that's one more year than anybody thought he would be uh, with, with the Minnesota Twins, as you alluded to earlier. But also, I, I, th I think if he doesn't opt out, that's, that means something went wrong in terms of either he had a down year or he got hurt. Just because he opts out doesn't mean he can't renegotiate longer term if he likes it here and you see in, in various sports and really in other fields as well, people have a perception of Minnesota and then they come live here, especially in the summer months and they turn out to really like it. There's oh, yeah. a chance that that happens, especially if the twins win. And then you maybe negotiate something longer term, but he's not going to, if he has a really good year, of course, he's going to opt out. Not necessarily though, because he wants to leave. Yeah, I think I think we're really going to have to see how that plays out over the course of the season. I don't know that either side really has a solid idea of, you know, this is what it's going to take to keep him here. This is the situation in which he opts out. This is the situation in which, like, he might be open to coming back. This is the kind of deal where he'll come back. I don't know that either side. No, obviously, considering his who his agent, Scott Boris, gets all these mega deals done, I mean, I think if you're, if you were, if you're trying to predict it, I, I mean, I think he would – yeah, like you said, if he's still around after one year, something has gone wrong. But you, you, you never know about that. I mean, he emphasized that family is the important thing to him. And he thinks that, uh, you know, he loves the family-oriented culture that the Twins organization has built. He loves the feel of the Twin Cities. Um, you know, it's just like they're, they're people that like, like to go out to restaurants and watch in and stay, and, and stay in and watch movies and raise their baby. Uh, they have a four-month-old son, Kylo. To, like, and, you know, it's, it's, and like you said, some guys end up, tending to like it but you, you're just gonna have to wait and see I guess I mean there's there's really no telling I think the one thing is like I don't know that the twins are ever really the organization to say okay if you're gonna want 10 years we're gonna give you 10 years and I think that's something that Derek Falvey kind of talked about with us afterward too like if they're gonna maybe try to restructure a deal to bring back career or something like that I don't know really what that's going to look like and it might have to be one of those more creative deals and in that sense, like it's going to have to take um, Boris and Correa to kind of agree to something like that too. And there's a lot of moving pieces there, but obviously there's a lot of time between now and October and November and December when those decisions need to be made. Um, and I, they kind of, this signing is kind of, you know, it's a blank slate for both sides, I think. Um, and I think we're going to really see kind of how the dynamics of that start to play out, um, especially on Correa's side as to factors that might entice him to stay here as the season goes on couple quickies to close here with Doe Park of MLB.com, Twins beat writer. He's coming up to Minnesota soon. Hopefully the weather gets better. <laughs> Today we're recording and there's icy, rainy, snowy mix. Uh, it's not good. Uh, so I don't mind. I never mind that personally. Yeah, well, and still enjoy the time down in Fort Myers. It's It hasn't gotten too hot down there, hopefully, hopefully yet. So uh, another guy, Sonny Gray. We mentioned him briefly earlier. Uh, and, and I mean, when he was in his prime, I mean, he was starting game one of playoff series for 
for the Oakland Athletics, uh, had some time with the New York Yankees, obviously, and most recently Cincinnati. How has Gray looked, a guy who may start opening day for the Twins? You know, the thing, we haven't really seen Sonny Gray. Um, he, came in, he came in a little slower on the ramp up. Um, and that's something that we're actually watching right now. It's going to be it's going to be interesting because he hasn't actually pitched in a big league spring training game yet. The only time we've seen him um, was he came in on the off day two days ago on Monday to pitch in the minor league game. Absolutely crushed the minor league hitters. He's Sonny Gray. I mean, like they're not going to be able to touch that sort of major league stuff. Uh, the stuff is crisp. Um, it's just a matter of he was, I think, around he was at three innings, I think, 44 pitches that day. And obviously starters are going to be behind. But um, one of the big things that came out of that was like, well, like, like live outing they're gonna have to see really it's kind of the next day of the response to that that's uh, really gonna dictate it um if Sonny Gray is gonna start opening day he's gonna have to stay on he was gonna have to stay on a five-day schedule after that four rest days and a start day um and I think there was some question of they didn't know if he was gonna be able to stay on the five day or have to move to a six day depending on kind of how he came out of that so I think we're still kind of waiting to hear back from that because if not I I've been doing the I've been kind of working this out it would either be Dylan Bundy, maybe on extra rest, or even Joe Ryan starting opening day would be a natural lineup. So I think um, we haven't really, you know, there we we haven't really been able to feel out kind of where Sonny's at following that game yet. But I think um, we're really going to start getting a little more clarity on that in the next one or two days. It's interesting, Joe Ryan. Uh, I got to see him a lot facing Fort Myers a few years ago. Boy, was he dominant. I mean, it's it's funny those teams that see each other a lot in the minor leagues. Their scouts also get to see a lot and and another guy was included in that trade calvin fauche who may get to the big leagues with the rays this year twins threw him into that trade that was no mistake the rays asked for him he was dominant when he pitched against uh charlotte stone crabs uh, down in the florida state league a couple years ago so it's funny it's funny how that works and, and ryan i was stunned the rays gave gave him up uh to the twins but speaking of prospects that's where that's where we can end here uh, we mentioned Duran and Winder earlier. Uh, a lightning round on some other guys who Twins fans might be interested in, and uh, starting with Royce Lewis, who's back on the field. Yeah, uh, Royce, biggest wild card of camp as far as uh, as far as things go. I mean, uh, he he came in. He was obviously as motivated, you know, Royce. Like he's about the most motivated and optimistic dude as you'll find on the planet. Um, got in some good time in camp, I think when you, you really can't have any expectations for a guy like that. I'm coming off really two full years of missed, um, of missed game time. I thought I expected him to start a double a this year. They're pushing him to triple a, I guess they're kind of treating the work he did at the alt site in 2020 as the uh, missed double a time. Um, I, I don't know that I have any idea what to expect from Royce. And I think kind of that first couple months as he gets, uh, gets his feet under him, are really going to be critical because I mean obviously he's in fantastic physical shape the ACL doesn't seem to be an issue at all he's moving great didn't really hit in double a last time he was up there worked on his swing we've heard a lot about you know he did a lot of swing work he was in the ball well let's see how that plays in games and I think um uh, every year has been a big year for Royce it seems for about three or four years now but man this uh this spring is going to be huge for him in St. Paul it is and easy easy got to pull for twins fans will love him if and when he he gets up um possibly later this year. We'll see how quickly he, he can move. Another guy, spectacularly year last year, maybe the best year of anybody in the entire minor leagues, Jose Miranda, uh, just got reassigned to minor league camp, but he could be back up very quickly with a good start, couldn't he? 
Yeah, it's just a tough situation. And we talked to Rocco about this just now too, where there's, he, he, what more can Jose Miranda do, right? Like there's not much more he can do to make a team, but he's also on a team that's got Luis Arise and Gio Urshela on it. I mean, it's just a tough situation all around. I mean, the same thing with Trevor Larnick, who absolutely, who's been mashing this camp. Um, I mean, and uh, there, he's just kind of blocked by Alex Kirilov and Max Kepler. But I think um, we only need to go back to the 2021 Twins to know these things sort themselves out really, really quick. Um, it's always it's always funny how this time of year, like we talk about, oh, this is like a huge decision. Uh, who's going to be on the opening day roster? Who's not going to make the cut? Tough decisions and all that. And then all these dudes are up by like May anyway because of injuries, right? So um, not hope. The twins are obviously hoping that the injuries don't come into play, but championship teams are built on depth. And um, if nothing else, the twins have the depth on the big league roster to the point where a guy like Jose Miranda, a guy like Trevor Larnick is still buried in AAA. Obviously really tough for them. And you want them to succeed. You want them to be in the best possible position. The twins hope that that's with playing every day until they're called upon so that when these injuries rise, when these things happen, they're going to be in the best position to, you know, be that depth they need. Yeah, to that point, I haven't mentioned his name the entire interview, Byron Buxton, who they signed to an extension this last offseason, but the odds are he may miss some time. So, you know, hopefully it's a short amount of time, um, unlike unlike last season and some other seasons, but you right. need that outfield depth when you have a guy like Buxton who's been historically injured. Uh, last last prospect, and we mentioned him briefly earlier, Jordan Belazovic. Uh, have you gotten to see much of him at, at camp and, and where do you think he'll start? Actually, no, we actually have not seen any of him at camp. Actually. Uh, I think I've seen him throw maybe one or two bullpens and that's about it. Um, the one thing I can, the one thing I can say about him is that he's, he's a lot bigger now than uh, last time I saw him, you know, he's always going to be, he's always been kind of that lanky body type. Uh, he's, he's all arms and legs in his delivery, right? Like that's kind of part of the deception of a Jordan Balazovic too, is his delivery is so, you know, he's a, he's a, he was a spindly dude, but he's really filled out some. Um, and uh, he really looks the part. He's starting in AAA this year. Um, and I think he's kind of the kind of the Bailey Ober of last season where you didn't really see much of Ober on the big league side because they knew he was just getting ready for a AAA season. Uh, just kind of make sure to ground him in that way. And uh, yeah, that, we haven't seen much of Alizov because of that. And um, I'm sure uh, fans in St. Paul will see plenty of him. Awesome. That, that was great, man. Great catching up. And uh, we'll see you when you get uh, when you get back up here. And uh, let's let's do it again soon. Yeah, it's usually uh, see you when I get to Florida, but not see you when I get to Minnesota. Thanks. Yeah, for more me. time. And we'll, we'll, we'll have more time here <laughs> in uh, Minnesota. Hopefully it'll be a fun summer at uh, Target Field. You can catch his stuff at MLB.com. Also follow him on Twitter, Dohung Park. Uh, we'll, you, you can figure out the spelling of that. Actually, I'll just give you the spelling. D-O-H-Y-O-U-N-G and then park, just like normal. That part is easy. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Marshall. Appreciate you. And that does it for this week's episode of the Marsh and Matt Show. Thanks again to Dohung Park. Excellent interview with him, the Twins beat writer for MLB.com. You can follow him at Dohung Park on Twitter. And you can catch all of his work at MLB.com and TwinsBaseball.com. Looking forward to an exciting season for Matt Gallivan, who was off this week. He'll be back next week. I'm Marshall Kellner. We will talk to you guys next time, and we'll catch up with Doe again throughout the Minnesota Twins season. See you guys.